When you've lost your stars, your name, and maybe your coach, but at least you have a fresh new jersey. <laughs> it's That's So MLS, a North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello, hello. Sorry, just uh, grabbing some aloe vera for that sick burn. <laughs> wow. Poor, I mean, you're not wrong. Montreal. None of that. Poor Montreal. You were afraid that was going to be too brutal, and I'm like, I. it's all factually correct, so what a time. And his, CF Montreal has introduced the league's uh, 38th black jersey with uh, a highlight color. I mean, I don't think it looks terrible, but yeah. <laughs> Innovative just, it is not, but... No. It's a, it's been a, it's been a tumultuous time. I mean, they have, they've picked up some folks. Um, Montreal have, but, uh, the rumors are that, uh, Henri is interviewing at Bournemouth. Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, you gotta think that's a job he wants, right? Like, he wants to be back in that, the English system, certainly in Europe. Um, and I think if all it took was a year away, just having, you know, mediocre to slightly better than mediocre success in a different league to get him back there you kind of got to take it, right? Yeah, I think that he, like, he certainly didn't have the kind of time that he had in France before he, um, where things ended in a, a big puff of smoke uh, in flames, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, uh, and this has been fine, I wouldn't say it was, like, you know, great, but I wouldn't say it was, like, bottom of the league either. Um, it's certainly like got, Montreal has been playoffs. That's true. Um, Montreal has has moved in a direction um, that is positive, and certainly they've been doing so much movement in the off season. You know, um, Arudi is gone, um, Raitala is gone. They've brought in some new players as well, but it's the sort of thing where, <laughs> including Eric Hurtado. Eric Hurtado is uh, back is, north is of the border. The, the Hurtado Island is now located right next to the Ile de Montreal, <laughs> uh, right in the Strait of, uh, right in the Gulf of Saint Lawrence. So that's good. Um, but it, he, it does create a massive problem for Montreal, though. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it would be like. If it had happened even a month ago, it would be a lot easier because yeah. you have this you have this big movement in and out of players, and you really need, I think, stability in terms of the, um, in terms of the technical staff in order to facilitate something like that. You can also say, okay, well, we're having a big changing of the guard moment as um, for players. Let's bring in a manager, but not. Yeah. Uh, two weeks before, not like a week or two before camp starts. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know who's available. I don't know who's available for them that they could just sort of pull in and be... Well, and given everything that has to go on for work permits, too, I think Montreal is severely limited in what they're going to be able to get prior to the summer. And I'm almost wondering if the if it does get confirmed that Henri's leaving, that they have to hire an interim coach and it will be you know someone from within the Montreal system who's who's stepping in um in a temporary capacity um there's a lot to 
that we could discuss in terms of like what now for Montreal, but I feel like all of it is conjecture, right? Because th- this isn't a confirmed thing. It seems likely. It's also mainly from the mirror, so we'll see. Um, but Montreal has not made it is refusing to comment on the situation, which seems like that's that's usually a tactic you take when there's something going on. There's at least talks. Here's my question for you. Do you think that ultimately this will benefit Montreal? Like, do you do you see this as a an act like apart from the timing? Do you see this as a an opportunity for Montreal or do you really see this as no, they're they're losing somebody that had a had a plan and was going to take them places? If you, if, I think my overall, because you make a good point about the the rumor aspect of it, but what I the the story that I think it furthers to me is, what the heck is Montreal up to this off season yeah. in terms of the players that they have, the 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 movement they've been trying to affect, in the um, the the club rebrand, which is you know if you if you look in the quote tweets of the post of their New Jersey, yeah, <laughs> um. You know, the there's the change.org petition to have them put the name back and whatnot. Um, you, we've seen that there is a club level of um, that more clubs are have that club level interest in, in players moving in and out. So it might not have anything to do with Henri in the first place. Why? Um, what their player acquisition strategy is. But the main thing you see when you have so many players moving in and out is I hope they can stick the landing on this. Um, and usually, and, you're if you're the board of a club, you're kind of expecting your head coach to be your through line there, right? Yes. So your question is: This going to be better? I don't think Henri was a distraction. Certainly, I think that Henri was a boon to recruitment. Yeah. Um, I think that he was a net positive for the club. This is a um. I would say that where the club is right now is potentially like fertile ground for a new manager who has a plan or who wants to uh, implement their philosophy. It's a great time to do that. Um, you know, the problem I, is who's who's available. I, I, but I just legitimately thought about this, and I was like, "Yeah, who would be good fitting those criteria domestically?" <laughs> you and the first name that comes to mind. <laughs> Mark DeSantos. Oh man, <laughs> what a, checks all the boxes, a... right? I don't. Oh, I don't no. think that's likely. I have not heard anything to that. That was literally just what the name that popped into my head when I was like, "Who? Who's in in the league or near to the league that could be good?" I feel like a a, a coach a coach poaching of that level. Is no somewhat unheard of. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think it's at all likely. Let me, let me, let me, uh, let me raise an even uh, potentially more unlikely scenario. <laughs> That's what this show's all about. Phil Dos Santos. Okay. Yeah. His his brother, who's an assistant coach and who I think also uh, was with the Impact when Dos Santos coached them. Mm-hmm. Uh, early in the MLS tenure and uh, in the USL time is yeah. I mean that would. Be... I also think you could look around CanPL as well at, at some of the coaches there. Um, that could certainly don't you don't you dare take Stephen Hart from Halifax. What about Pamudaka from Pacific FC? He's bilingual. That's true. He's, he's mean, like, multi. I... He speaks more than French and English. 
I say, I say, I think that Hart, of course, has the chops to be a great MLS coach. I just say, as a Halifax team, hands off. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hal- yeah as yeah, a Halifax very, fan, hands off. Very important. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it, it obviously the timing just really blows. It, it seems like it, there's some legs to the ru- the rumor. But it does put the impact in a really difficult bind, you know, and especially, say, like, Montreal gave up two DPs um, as Henri arrived. They let Evan Bush go for nothing, um, you know, and, and other sort of long-standing players and players that had looked like they maybe had a future at Montreal no longer did, which is totally understandable and every bit a part of the coach's job. However, mm-hmm. you're as a board, you know, and, and as a fan base, you're kind of, you're taking your hits because you assume, well, it's all part of the greater project. And now everyone's got to be asking, well, what the fuck is the greater project? <laughs> Meet the damn coach. Cause is it like camp is about to start in a, a number of weeks. Uh, yeah, we heard, uh, we heard last week that, that, that since, since, uh, since we have uh, spoken to you last, um, the MLS, uh, collective bargaining agreement has uh, with its players uh, has been right uh, has been reached. Yes, the they had a deadline of uh, of a Thursday. They pushed it back. Um, or no, they had a deadline. They pushed it back a week to Thursday, and then they pushed it back another, a further twenty four hours. But they were able to um, they were able to sort it out. Which I'm. Uh, of course, always continued feeling that they're putting people at risk by doing uh, stuff in a pandemic. Um, but if they're going to do that, I'm glad that they did, uh, that, you know, players were able to extract some, um, uh, a concession or two out of the process to try to make it so it wasn't just, you know, it's not just to uh, save a dime or two Yeah, uh, as things go on. Now, outside of the fact that there is now agreement i believe it's in place for three years of the 100 percent pay like that the salary piece seems to be sorted out and the uh, a significant lengthening of the agreement which is 100 percent. i think that's 100 percent of 95 percent because because uh... I, I think it's important to notice that is that when when people say it's 100 percent of pay it's 100 percent after the pay cut they took last july Oh, okay. Well, that's an important. So note. it's not, it's not a hundred percent of. It's we are not going to drop February's. this further. Yes, no further cuts. But they wanted to extend the pay cuts that they got a couple more years. That's my understanding of it. Right. Okay. And so, do we know kind of what other concessions were made by MLS? Um, because, admittedly, in all the back and forth, I got a bit lost as to exactly like what the main grievances were because and those waters were muddied by don garber sort of talking about the financial state of the league and compensation it seemed like the mls players union had association had different things they were interested in well they wanted to they wanted to um to continue to push uh through the um through the 2027 season um, and this, what makes it a concession is that it was, it has all the things that were a concession in the agreement from last year, um, from the players, what the players asked for, um, in, res- in 
return, it seems. Um, according to Paul Tenorio and Stan Stetchkel from The uh, Athletic, um, is uh, they loosened some free agency rules that will take place take effect in 2026. Um, the MLS free agency rules are based on uh, how long you've been at a club right. or right. your age, you know, and uh, and when the new rules kick in, um, the players will be eligible if they are 24 years old with four years' experience instead of five. Mm-hmm. And uh, according to the Athletic, top-tier free agents will be eligible for larger salary increases when switching teams. Right, right. Okay, yeah. I remember that now. There was a significant push to kind of strengthen the eligibility for um, free agency and then also just like what you could do within that and value of players, etc. I remember this. Also, also which is... This this really does feel like a, in some ways, a tacit salary increase. In twenty, um, in twenty twenty six and twenty twenty seven, team salary caps will increase. Mm, right. I think by it says in the the story, um, I think it's seven point five percent, and ten in uh, in twenty twenty six and ten percent in twenty twenty seven. Right. Ten percent. A seven point five percent increase from twenty twenty five to twenty twenty six, and then a ten percent increase from what the twenty twenty six number is to twenty twenty seven. So, so right, okay. concurrent increases yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right. that will stack. So we got. So we. So the players definitely said, like, okay, compensation wise, you have this number, um, but if we're going to, if we're if we're going to wait this long to to do something, let's just see if we can get a couple of switches that we'd like in. I have no problem with expanding free agency, of course, because the, yeah. the MLS's, MLS's system of waiver drafts and stuff for restricted free agents is uh, wild and is something that I kind of feel like wouldn't really stand up to legal scrutiny anyway. Yeah. You know, the, the continued to to restrict player movement to a certain point. I don't know how much, you know, for a player that's not under contract. It's it's um, never made m- much sense, right? Like, it's just, it is so, so restrictive that it makes, it means most of the time players who would be eligible, who should be eligible for free agency for some little dumb reason aren't, and then basically have to leave the league or have very few options available to them. Um, and especially when you're trying to keep you know some talent within the league it's, it's but, but that door keeps jimmying that door keeps jimmying open first they got the they got it to crack open to to have free agency in the first place yeah and uh and now it's uh um now it's going even a little bit further yeah and it, i mean and it's good that they got it ac- across the the table across the table across the finish line um and and done um and it seems like both sides are, are pretty satisfied. On to we we and now everybody can start uh, for the season in April. It's no longer going to be March, right? Um, I don't really know. I guess is this is this going to mean another year of of you know lots of games in midweek, whatnot? Uh, the schedules themselves are certainly a mess, especially for the Canadian teams. 
as uh, there has been uh, rumors that MLS is that, uh, sorry that uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps are going to start at RSL's Rio Tinto Stadium. Formerly RSL's. That's true. The current who has have RSL uh, rebranded. No, RSL is now playing out of a different stadium, aren't they? I thought Rio Tinto oh, was Monarchs. Oh no no no! Monarchs is uh, Zion's Bank Stadium. That's the one with the playground, right? Uh, that players can go pose on during uh, the uh, the uh, NWSL tournament. Oh, okay. I thought. Yes. See, this is what happens. Challenge got. Okay, it is still RSL Stadium. I thought I read a thing that was said it wasn't. I apologize for my confusion on that. They might have changed the like. Might have changed the naming rights or something. Yeah, weird. Um, anyway, that yeah, but yes, the the point, the takeaway here is the rumor is the Whitecaps will be playing out of RSL's Rio Tinto Stadium. That's correct. Now, let me just throw this at you. That would just be as about as dumb an idea as any, but that yeah. also makes me feel a little bit more positive about it because I'm like, sure, why like if it's got to be somewhere, do I really care where it is and it, it it's I don't know, it's no less strange than playing out of Portland. Here's my here's That's my true. hypothetical to throw at you and this is important. Now, we know a lot of teams have gone to Rio Tinto and struggled because of the elevation. Do you think this could become the secret like thing that gives the Vancouver Whitecaps the boost they need to cross the finish line. I mean, uh, so here's the worry, right? Is that, that we, I think that anybody that's working with one of the MLS teams is kind of hoping for a stage approach where you start the season elsewhere, you mid-season are able to move back, uh, cross-border travel becomes possible and you're able to move back into your um your home venue and then maybe cross fingers vaccine distribution goes well and by the end of the season you have fans in the building mm. that's like the best possible um i feel like that's the best possible dream that a that a club might have right now in terms of everything moving smoothly and, and things being able to open safely that way mm. um the so the question is, are they going to stay in um, in Salt Lake? Because if they're still going to live in Vancouver and commute to Salt Lake for games, then that's going to they're they're, they're going to have as many elevation problems as the opposing team. Right? Would they yeah, not? yeah, yeah. It's true. Like they're not going to be. I mean, if they're training there, though, it's possible they they get used to it and acclimatize, but. That's true. I'm just trying to look pretty um, positive. <laughs> but hey, it'll be a fun. It'll be a fun little difference. Uh, maybe they'll. Maybe they'll. I. So many of my. Uh, so many of my. My good memories are involved in that uh, in NWSL at uh, Zion's Bank Stadium, um, because the. The the Challenge Cup Stadium was almost like. That one almost had more um, character. Yeah, you know, you had the you had the playground, you had the uh, the outrageous amount of fireworks that went out around the stadium continuously for ninety minutes on July Fourth. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe maybe you don't want that. 
Maybe <laughs> maybe these maybe these are are uh are are cute things for the broadcast that turn into negatives. Right. Locally. Yeah. But we've seen so a little bit of player movement. There's been uh just the tiniest little bit, yeah. Um we, we got some DPs. I'll admit that um the uh the AC Milan guy Pato, I'm not as familiar with him. Uh, I'm not either particularly. Uh, like, the name rang a bell, and then I looked him up, and I was like, all right, okay, yeah, him, 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 him. My understanding here is that uh, Orlando thinks they've got themselves a, a real steal in a player that I think they didn't have to bring in for a, a ton because his, his form was off, and they're sort of making this BWP-like bet that he's going to be able to come in and reinvent himself in MLS. I mean, he's 31. It's a it's a good age to come in. Mm-hmm. I also think that what that hope maybe ignores is he could also come in and have a chicharito of a season. So, or, <laughs> or more than one. Like, the, it's, it's, it is a gamble, I think, for Orlando. He's obviously a fantastic player. And I think he can certainly score goals in Orlando. And one of the things we know that has improved greatly about Orlando's game is actually being able to get their strikers the ball. So, sure, I, I think it's an interesting signing. Um, Orlando is pumped on this. Like, they are really <laughs> going all out in, in re- revealing this signing. Yeah, it'll be interesting, but I feel like there's as much chance of it flopping as there is of him being you know, the next great M- MLS star. The player is Alexandre Apato. He was a center forward going to Orlando uh, as a free agent. Uh, he is 31 and he played the press release really does make clear where he was, where he was last. Um, but he has played for AC Milan, Chelsea um, and Sao Paulo. Yeah. Yeah. I believe he, I, I think places. he was last in Brazil playing there and not having a ton of success. Well, we have uh, we have that individual Cincinnati sort uh, signed somebody called Brenner. Am I remembering this right? Um, yes, you are. And I also need to bring it up. Wow, we're ready. Hey, look, it's the off season, folks. Come on, <laughs> we're getting our we're getting our uh, our. Do you think I'm editing this out? You have another thing coming. This is training ground lung, stuff here. <laughs> our lung sprints. Yeah. This is my beep test. God. Um. Yes, Brenner, Brazilian striker Brenner is a young designated player is coming in. Nice. Yeah, and I I think this is really positive for them. Um, I think where they've tried in the past to bring in high caliber talent, they've really they have done this gamble of older players, players who have struggled elsewhere. And yes, definitely had a good pedigree, but then struggled mightily at Cincinnati. Um, so a really exciting prospect, especially given um, given his age. I think so as well. Austin, uh, you know, we've everybody has wondered for the longest time um, when when is it when is it when might it be happening? Pochettino to MLS. Has occurred. Tomas Pochettino is <laughs> moving to uh, the Argentinian is moving to um, to Austin FC. Yeah, 
yeah, really exciting. Really exciting signing for them. I'm trying to find information on whether or not he and uh, former Tottenham Hotspur manager Mauricio Pochettino are related or not. Son? No. Son is different. Mauricio Pochettino's is called son is called Mauricio. So Great. different. Um but yes, the uh, uh uh that should be an interesting signing. Another um another younger player as well, which is is a um you know of course, always you're 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 making a little bit of a gamble, but some of these gambles have uh, paid off really well. And I think if you're going to gamble, I definitely prefer the Cincinnati and Austin approach as to the Orlando approach. I think you bring in um, players who are have tremendous upsides and talent, but are maybe uh, much younger and going to cost you a bit more. Versus the bringing in a player that you has been proven elsewhere, just not in MLS, and maybe is in a bit of a slump, and you got them as a free agent, but probably have pretty hefty salaries to boot. That that my preference is the younger player because if they don't do well, it's likely their value still goes up, um, and then you're not right. just getting nothing for nothing; you're getting something for nothing. Nothing for something. I don't know. <laughs> you make money. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, it's cool to see Austin's, uh, roster come together and, and it's, it's exciting to think about, um, the direction that they're going. I don't know that I have a good sense of what identity it is they're looking to build, but, um, yeah, I've, I have heard the coaches talking somewhat about like looking for versatile players, players that are committed to teamwork. Like they're not looking to sign any stars it feels like players who are they're gonna bring them in and build the team around they're looking for um you know 18 to 23 players that are able to fit within a system together Mm. that's about as much as i can pick up but it's it's interesting you look at the side and you think it's not it it, you know it has similar shades to a, a nashville sc where there's a bit of a mix of everything in there in terms of experience it's going to be really interesting to see how they all come together. Yeah. When you when you talk about the youth player versus the older player, I did see something in your notes that's that that uh, that has some 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 hints about the the older side of the equation. Mm. Are you talking about my note about New York City FC? I'm talking about Ryan. Sh- you mentioned oh, Ryan Shawcross. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is where I would go back on that statement and say if you're gonna sign somebody who's um, a little bit older, but is definitely still in their prime, chasing a stalwart, uh, almost a one-team player. Um, Ryan Shawcross is rumored to be just about ready to sign with Miami. Ooh. Which, I don't know about you, but I, I know not everybody's going to hear Stoke City's Ryan Shawcross and think, <laughs> wow, that's the player that's going to come in and change our fortunes. But I think he's exactly the player that they need um, and is a fantastic signal of intent for Miami addressing some of the issues that, I mean, ev- everybody talked about last season is de- defensively, they were just never really organized, um, you know, outside of getting picked up from, uh, I believe it's Man United a long time ago. He's been at Stoke City ever since and been a pretty steady presence there. So this would be, I think, a really great, um, like almost a kind of a coup for Miami. Yeah, especially if you're a player that went to, you know, is trying to to build some reps and um and has put is paid those dues to then come back to 
to then come to MLS as opposed to trying to make your 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 uh, if you were hoping to maybe get back into those um, those levels where he'd been at. Um, but as we've seen with as we've seen with uh, uh, with Henri, sometimes it's a good shop window. Absolutely, and I think too um, the Premier League and the Championship League are um, not totally dissimilar from MLS, especially in terms of what defenders are being asked to do. Um, similar levels of physicality, I think, are involved, and we've seen an- enough examples of players come in from uh, the UK defenders, especially, and and have a pretty good go of things in MLS. And I think, yeah, Ryan Shawcross would be definitely up there as a defender of the year candidate should that signing get completed. Um, the FIFA Club World Cup has completed. Mm-hmm. Um, it was quite the. Uh, quite the the final for uh, CONCACAF fans as uh, Alfonso Davies, Bayern Munich, uh, faced Tigres FC, a club that had never made it to the competition before, um, but uh, was able to uh, make it all the way to the final, including um, knocking off uh, Brazilian club Palmeiras mm-hmm. 2-0. Um, both, uh, and indeed all of the uh, the, the goals... From Tigres came from um, Gignac. Yeah, with I think I think two of them were penalty. Uh, Palmeiras, one of them was a penalty, and one of them was a, um, and one of them was a direct goal from Andre Pierre Gignac. Um, but in the final themselves, Tigres were really good. I think that was the number one like surprise. Yeah, um, is just like people tuning in to be like. This is Bayern Munich, the club that is, you know, steamrolled so many sides on on route to um, winning the number of trophies that it has. And uh, here Tigres is um, really taking it to them um, and like making it really hard for them to um, to succeed uh, offensively. They did have Bayern did have one uh, goal disallowed. Mm-hmm. Um, but they made a really, really good show of themselves as a club on uh, on the world stage. And I feel like coming up against Bayern Munich in a any final and losing <laughs> one nothing is an incredible achievement, uh, given yes. the the level that that club is playing at. Um, and this this is not to take anything away from Tigres, but just in terms of what I thought ahead of this match was, well, also Bayern really hasn't faced a ton of like stiff competition this year. <laughs> like they have just yeah. about steamrolled everyone they've come up against, um, and so I I felt like that could play out in interesting ways. But I, I felt like overall the match was pretty evenly matched, and um, as you say, Tigres definitely came in and <laughs> made themselves known. Benjamin Pavard got the only goal for Bayern. They, in no way can we look at this as like anything else that, than Bayern like finding their foothold and then not letting go of it. Because it wasn't, it wasn't like a huge dominating performance from the European champions. Um, and I think that uh, the Tigris uh Goalkeeper Nahuel Guzman did a great job. Um, I thought that um, 
on the Byron side, I thought that, uh, of course, Davies did a great job pushing um, on his uh, side of the pitch and creating problems. I think that the major issue that they had, in addition to the VAR thing, because you could kind of question in the world of, you know, elbow offside, you could question whether Robert Lewandowski was offside before mm-hmm. the goal from Bayern, whether or not that could have been ruled offside. Um, but they had been playing pretty aggressively to that point in the second half. And, and unfortunately, you know, I say about playing Tigres that it's the last 10 minutes that get you. Um, but now that they were the ones facing the uh, the more formidable side, mm-hmm. I do think that they they're extreme amounts of discipline, especially from Guzman, um, sort of shake, shook apart a little bit mm-hmm. towards the, the, the end of the match with, um, you know, you had some, just some more stress as opposed to this, you know, um, this, this, this feeling of serene concentration that took place mm-hmm. for, um, for the first two thirds of the game. Right, you know, as as it would. <laughs> but, but and the 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 calf side on me being uh, being done. Uh, congratulations to Canada's Alfonso Davies, who is a world champion and has now what's that his sixth trophy this year? Yeah, I think that that's the. I think I would. I think that the Club World Cup counts for something. Um, people are saying six, and they're counting the German Super Cup and the UEFA Super Cup, which makes me be like uh, but but yes they run the this is the 2020 club world cup so cross another cross another off of your list of your your uh your to-do list of last year's chores uh the 2020 canadian championship is uh now we don't know when it'll happen but it's been drawn like it's gonna happen lordy um well (laughs) <laughs> One of my favorite things was that uh, at, shortly after the game, um, I don't always, when I'm on our uh, Instagram, which is, oh, that's on us, Instagram, um, I don't always actually go through and watch a ton of stories, but, you know, like we follow players and stuff, and obviously follow Alfonso Davies and Jordan Heidema, and I was just going through stories, and Jordan Heidema is just broadcasting them live playing something on Xbox. <laughs> I'm probably getting the gaming platform wrong, but it was just, it was so cool to see. And Heidema, I think had scored like an incredible goal the day before. And you just see like the two future Canadian stars of soccer, just like hanging out, playing video games, like just ragging on each other. I was like, it's, it's really easy to forget sometimes that these are literal kids and which is delightful, but almost kind of scary to think like, Oh my God, you're little babies. Like you have so much more to go. <laughs> Both of you, like your careers, you have just so, I, st- I still think huge amounts to grow. But when you think about what they've achieved at, at their ages is just, it's a little <laughs> terrifying. Heidemann is not in the, uh, in the squad tonight as Canada. This is a, an item that, that, um, that piqued my interest is, is Canada has entered into the She Believes Cup. Mm-hmm. Which is a, um, every year there is a sort of, it's not a preseason competition. It is a, it is a legitimate competition, but it's like the Algarve Cup. Right. 
where we we've we've got to we've got to come up with something to do mm-hmm. for ourselves in the in the uh, in the spring to keep everybody sharp and keep everybody having uh, competitive games. Um, the uh, but usually Canada plays at the Algarve, which is um, the the top teams have kind of pulled off to to create this competition. She believes cup. So this is kind of the the warm up for the. Tokyo 2020 Olympics, which will take place later this year. Um, and so, maybe. you know, the... Maybe. So the the um, the field of uh, Canada, Brazil, Argentina, and USA. With Argentina uh, replacing Japan. Um, I think that that's a little bit better stock, stack for Canada. Um, especially with the, the um, note that they will be missing... Uh, Buchanan and Ashley Lawrence and uh, Christine Sinclair. Mm, Um, Which, I mean, you know, those are all clubs that are, uh, you know, Europe is in season. Um, The, where you can, uh, in in any, at any point during the pandemic, who who can be gotten into the country from where is always a a big challenge. It's taking place in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, but certainly if you were going to, you would want three of your best players in the squad as you're going to take on like three of the top teams in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think they'll, they're, they're still going to get their chance to do that. But I feel that <laughs> the introduction of Argentina in there is a team that is more in, it puts Canada in a little bit less of a spot where they're consist- consistently going to be have to, having to. Uh, punch up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Argentina is still a great side, but it's just you know it's the the joy of this tournament and also the challenge of this tournament is there are especially in those two matches, uh, or especially in the match against the United States, there is a chance. And what would have been against Japan, there is a chance Canada might get beat up a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, a learning lesson. But you got to do it. That's part of the development, I think, you know? Um, that's right. Yeah. That's happening. That's starting, I think, now as we speak. Oh. Um, the So that is, a, that is an interesting development. Um, we talked last week with Mike Iash. We did. Um, the, uh, the new head of the Whitecaps um, Eastern Canadian Development, including the Atlantic Canada Development Center. And... Part of the the missing piece of the equation there was New Brunswick, who's not a part, not a, the biggest part of the center um, at present. And I wanted to get a little chat about how uh, my province of residence mm-hmm. um, fits into the uh, the soccer development um, system and, and how things are going with soccer in the province. So I had a nice chat with Soccer New Brunswick's executive director Eunice Buida. And uh, we're going to play a little bit of that for you now. All right, I'm here with Eunice Buida, Executive Director and Director of Technical Development for Soccer New Brunswick. Eunice, how are you doing? Good, thank you. And you, Andrew, how are you? I'm doing very good. Um, hey. I've been talking to some folks about uh, how things are going with with pro development for soccer players um, and with an idea of of professional development and development for the national teams. 
and uh, and and some of that came out of this um, this new Atlantic Development Center that the Whitecaps are putting together. Um, how does uh, Soccer MB feel about uh, the Whitecaps kind of opening sh- up shop in the backyard, so to speak? I think it's a it's a great initiative uh, from the Whitecaps to. Uh, have, um, you know, staff, uh, Mike Ayash, um, you know, working with Atlantic uh, provinces and scouting players. I think it's a great initiative that will definitely help uh, player development and get players to aspire to play uh, professionally and have the opportunity to play uh, professionally and uh, maybe be the the next uh, Alfonso Davis. (laughs) The... uh... I think that one of the reasons that that maybe that I that I was interested in in looking into this stuff when I first saw the press release is the fact that New Brunswick was not a part of the initial sort of three groups that were uh, that were a part of it. Um, what sort of led to that from from New Brunswick side? When I spoke to the Whitecaps, they mentioned that that sort of talks in 2016 didn't kind of uh, went in another direction. Uh, but they're they've been talking to you guys now. Yeah, I think I think that the the simple reason is uh, we've built uh, uh, you know a strong partnership with Montreal Impact, uh, and we were the first province to have that kind of a partnership with a professional MLS team uh, before even Quebec, before other provinces um, had any other agreements with with their with their professional academies. So. Been a long time since the start of the uh, the Montreal Impact Academy. I talked to Philippe de, de Lafroy back then, and also um, uh, their technical director Philippe de Lafroy and the, uh, the the senior scout, which is uh, Simon Gatti. And we had multiple visits from their uh, academy coaching staff that now evolved to be ML- in the MLS all over uh, you know North America. Uh, Johan Dame in FC Cincinnati came here. Uh, mm. Jason Dutulio. Um, uh, we had uh, now uh, also Yannick uh, that works with uh, senior uh, national team for physical preparation. We had many, many uh, good um, coaches that came here. We had their under 19 team that came here to do their, uh, their um, uh, preseason camp. Uh, we built a tournament around that. Um, so uh, we also have the opportunity to have visits, uh, multiple visits for our players that go there and, and spend a full week with the Montreal Impact Academy. Um, so because of the proximity with Quebec, we were a lot, uh, it gave us really great opportunity for our players, coaches and soccer community uh, to develop uh, the game you know, and, and also promotion for, for the game. So when the weight cap came, it was about two years that we were in that partnership with the Montreal Impact. And, um, you know, and for us was basically um, the right fit, you know, uh, technically. And, and to be honest, I was impressed by the, the, the white cap, uh, white cap staff. I had the opportunity to have um, um, Dan um, that came to, to visit us here and, I think Bart also uh, came, and um, and we had a great discussion. And uh, but it just the thing that we built with Montreal Impact was so strong that uh, you know it was uh, very difficult for us to move to somewhere else and just have one or the other. So uh, right now, is there an opportunity that we can 
maximize you know the partnership and and be able to work with both and that's that's what we're trying to do and i think it's a win-win-win for everyone right so essentially then you're saying that the montreal partnership started in about 2014 uh i think it prior to that it started uh, a little bit earlier than that um and uh and we had like two years a year or two before the white cap came um so and yeah and great really well it went really well um, nice and, and it's been and it's still something that is uh pretty frequent um and, and going so, sort of strong in recent years yeah i mean still very good you know we maximize even the player contact uh you know with mm. their with their staff um uh coaches symposium they were always uh, uh you know our guest speakers um things were going very well and uh, of course with now with covid it, it kind of became a little bit difficult <laughs> for everyone i guess but uh yeah but that's, things are going very well but uh you know we're always open to opportunities you know with this atlantic center it's uh it's always something to see how we can also work with the, with with everyone for the best interests of the players, and that's what we're looking for. That's what's something that's interesting to me because I know that there is definitely you know clubs definitely have catchment areas, but the idea that was another thing I reacted to when I first saw this release. So I was like, well, why why does one club have to be the only club in a zone? <laughs> you know, yeah. in terms of Nova Scotia, etc. But um, yeah. And I think the Atlantic Canada is open to all the MLS clubs. So, um, you know, so I think I think uh, that means that we can also have multiple agreements and which will will be very beneficial for our soccer community. Now, um, how do you, uh, how has development, like in the current setup, what is sort of the what is what do you envision as the pathway for players that come out of New Brunswick? So, basically, for us right now is we we do multiple um, uh, we scout players. We have our um, coaches that uh, and scouts that scouts all of our provincials. Uh, we have now uh, also we. We were uh, the first province to implement the club license, uh, club qualification program, which is a, a kind of uh, first uh, version of club licensing uh, in 2012. And I have to mention that because that helped uh, develop the environment. And we have multiple technical directors working now in, in New Brunswick full time. And that allows us really to scout, uh, better scout players. And then we bring those players to a uh, provincial team and uh, and also we do ID camps all over the, uh, the province. And from there, we, we do what we call a talent camp. And we go from that talent camp, uh, 13, 14 years old. Uh, we understand that it's not uh, going to stop there, going to evolve. But the professional teams uh, with the impact, uh, we have their scouts, uh, senior scouts that come here and scout the players and then from there he makes uh, basically uh, making um, recommendation to invite a couple of players to the montreal impact academy mm, okay that makes sense yeah, um, and then how many yeah. would you, how many players would you say get taken per year 
Well, for now, it's 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 basically we have uh, to to be to be selected to go for for a trial. There, uh, we usually have four or five players every single year. Nice. Um, we had in the past where we had uh, ten players that went um, for a full week, and I think um, you know we had um, two players that got invited to join the Montreal Impact Academy um, at the younger age. Ages. So we uh, we had a goalkeeper that went there, and then we had another player that uh, uh, couldn't go for for uh, it was a family decision, uh, right. but um, was going to to join maybe later on, and um, and and basically that's that's what we have because the idea is that Montreal Impact want the players to be um, to join the academy as early as possible, so that way they can basically have. Uh, you know, implement the DNA of Montreal Impact uh, Academy and uh, and the way of working their culture. Um, but after that, we keep basically the communication with the senior scouts and and for those who are 15, 16 years old, they have another opportunity also to go. But of course, it becomes harder and harder uh, for our players. And we're always looking for other uh, uh, you know scouting opportunities with national team directly. Uh, with the Excel men's program, for example, or uh, in terms of the women's, we have also the women's Excel program because we are certified as a as a Rex program uh, under Canada Soccer. So for the for the girls, it's the same. Basically, they come from the Rex program, and the best performance will go and and do a camp with the Super Rex in Montreal, and then we get the opportunity to have one or two girls that will join the Super Rex. And that's basically the the last layer before the national team uh, going to the national team. So that's that we have for the girls. We have also for the boys, and uh, you know, and we keep working hard every single day and uh, to get the confidence of the coaches and um, you know and other um, other uh, directors, technical directors at the MLS level and and also national team. Ah, uh, okay, that makes sense. So the Super Rex, it, it, as it would exist in in. Montreal is basically the same as is what the the Whitecaps program is. Yes, for so, female yeah. players, and then and then the what New Brunswick has is is the step underneath that is the Rex program. Yes, nice. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. So um, there, is, there is a Rex program, uh, and uh, Super Rex is uh, there is one in Montreal, one in Toronto, and one in in, in Vancouver. Now the when when players kind of get past that what you said the the 15 16 level that's kind of where universities and uh in campiel the halifax wanderers come in is that is that basically the case exactly exactly we're always looking for other opportunities for them uh to join maybe um other type of uh you know uh north american uh you know uh you know, academies, opportunities that them that might might come, uh, you know, and uh, there's always other possibilities, you know, for players, but really the main one becomes to get a scholarship uh, and go to university. And now with the with the CPL, it's a great opportunity, and I find it's a it's it becomes really um, a huge huge step forward for Canadian soccer uh, to have CPL because it's given just opportunities for. Um, a larger pool of players to play professionally, but, but at the same time, it gives them also an opportunity to have an education 
And, uh, you know, because not everyone is ready to be professional at 18 years old. Not everyone is uh, Alfonso Davis, but there are other players that will develop later at uh, 21, 22 years old, and maybe they can join the CPL. And uh, it's great to see the partnership between uh, U Sports and CPL. I think it's it's a great opportunity for for players. Because you've had a couple of people that come out of sort of the maritime system, including um, uh, Kwame Atara was was yeah. one of the people in that first the first Wanderers team that came out of Moncton, if I recall. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you've yeah, had yeah. people show up or basically be able to make that, uh, make that leap. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And, 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 and if we have a CPL team in Moncton, it will uh, actually give more opportunities for New Brunswick players. I think we have, um, and I think yourself now being in New Brunswick, you will, you will certainly, uh, uh, if you visit here, you'll see the, the history of soccer uh, in, in New Brunswick. There is a strong heritage here in soccer and St. Mm-hmm. John specifically, uh, where uh, first games of, of soccer, uh, one of the first games of, uh, of soccer in the country uh, was played, you know, in, in the harbor of St. John. And uh, I think there is a strong uh, soccer uh, culture and uh, there is some great players here so I think if we have uh, a professional team um, in Moncton or in St. John and anywhere in New Brunswick it will give uh, more opportunities for local players. Where do you see things as being uh, or where do you see things as being at for the potential of a Moncton team in, in KPL? I think it's just building the momentum, you know, of uh, of uh, of the CPL and 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 basically uh, with the promotion of, of the game and some of the good results that maybe some of the universities in New Brunswick will have, it will create some momentum and then it will attract some investors to invest in uh, in a CPL team because I think we have great infrastructure. I think. Uh, um, especially with the Moncton Stadium that's already uh, hosted the, the Women's World Cup uh, and the Under-20 Women's World Cup too in 2014 and the Women's World Cup in 2015. Uh, the um, I think it's a hub, they call it the Hub City, uh, and uh, there is a lot of passion of soccer right now that is just in the Moncton area, about uh, four to 5,000 uh, soccer players just in, in Moncton. Uh, and of course, with the, the surrounding, there is a, um, about 10,000 players, um, I will say, in a radius of uh, an hour and a half um, from Moncton. So if you add to it the parents and everything else, I think there is some great uh, uh, ingredients and, and potential to have a, a strong franchise. And I think it's healthy for the game to have... Uh, you know that derby uh you know halifax moncton it's it's great for the game um what are some of your memories of uh of when moncton hosted the world cup because i was uh i was in alberta at the time so oh. the semi-final in edmonton nice nice um you know it was a great uh, it was a great event uh, for me it was like a like a dream you know having uh, all the national teams here we had france we had England, um, you know, um, we had Colombia, Mexico. Then after that, we had Brazil came with Marta. Um, I think it was it was just amazing opportunity for everybody uh, to get to watch uh, women's soccer as best as best as, as it gets. And um, I think it's um, 
we had some great memories. We we also organized some uh, camps around that event where players after the games they get the opportunity to go and play, uh, just to uh, just to get that you know when you watch a, a great game of, of soccer at the at the at the World Cup level and you play soccer right after. Um, you, you feel like uh, that uh, all the uh, you try to mimic what they were doing, and I think uh, there is some great memories there from many players. Um, I think it's it's um, we had uh, also uh, some games I remember um, where um, it was well attended. All the games were well attended, and I think uh, operationally here in Moncton everything is easy. So I think it was a great. Um, um, symphony here in, in, in Moncton where everything flowed really well um, and um, you know it was very efficient uh, in, in all operations so I think it's um, you know I have to say something also you know when you see for example CPL where you have five six thousand people watching the games um, I remember one game uh, under 12 under 20 um, World Cup, and it was uh, Norway uh, against Ivory Coast, uh, mm. and um, and it was um, kickoff was on a Monday at 5 p.m., and we still had close to 5,000 people coming to watch the game. You know, so so that's for an under 20. Um, you know, Ivory Coast, Norway. Uh, there's not a strong community of uh, from Ivory Coast or Norway, so. Um, so and, and to get close to 5,000, that's in my opinion was a great indicator. That you know what, if we have a CPL team here, we're gonna for sure have more than 5,000 people coming to watch the games. I know that uh, the Moncton is not one of the venues for the 2026 World Cup, but do you hope that there is some possibility in the province of attracting, uh, I don't know, a, a, a practice facility for one of the teams? Oh, that will be the dream, you know, for for all of New Brunswick, you know, to attract, um, you know, a training, uh, you know, a training camp for one of the the teams. I I know that there is a lot of teams in 2026. I think it's going to go up to 48, I believe. So so there is many possibilities there. And when you know that um, Moncton is about an hour flight from from Montreal, from uh, also from Boston. Uh, not very far from New York, and teams can come here where they have, um, you know, a great uh, place with uh, a lot of uh, natural park where they can go for other activities, team bonding activities. We have the beach, um, you know, and it's staying away from that pressure, uh, you know, away from the big centers and the pressure that it can bring from from everybody. I think uh, we've seen many countries in other uh, World Cups where they they prefer to go to places like uh, Moncton or or St. John or Fredericton where they can have a, a camp. And I think it will be a great uh, legacy for, uh, for uh, uh, of the World Cup uh, because we saw that every time, you know, we have a team doing a camp at the World Cup, uh, they, they leave a lot of, uh, uh, you know, strong leg um, after. So we're very hopeful. I think it's uh, a great spot here and um, hopefully we'll see uh, some... Um, with some, uh, of course, infrastructure upgrade, it will be, uh, you know, hopefully uh, a great option for some of the national teams. Um, you were mentioning the interest for the, the Women's World Cup stuff that was here. And, and certainly there's been a lot of discussion around the lack of NWSL teams in Canada. 
and and of pro teams or senior teams for um, for female players. And one of the things that really interested me was the announcement of this um, this amateur uh, basketball loop. Yeah, that that is happening because I. It's obviously not the same. There, there are other leagues that that provide that at kind of that level it, um, for women's soccer in Canada, um, yeah. but I feel like that's a really interesting way to sort of handle that issue. Do you think that that's something that could see similar success here in New Brunswick on um, in the soccer side? For sure. I mean, uh, let me tell you one one thing. Maybe. Uh very few people are aware is that in 2012, we submitted our proposal to USL to have uh, a W league team. Mm. In and it was very, very close to pass. It just was uh, back then. It was some changes in the league and at the last minute it got canceled because we were ready to book our tickets to go to Florida uh, to, for their, uh, their uh, AGM. And we were going to have a W league team in Moncton and everything was ready to roll. Wow. So, so that was going to be a big thing, you know, and I think we had all the ingredients to make it work. And we already had talks with some national team players to come and play in Moncton. Mm-hmm. Uh, because basically in W League team, there's a lot of NCAA Division One players and other players that are interested to come and play, especially in the summer. Uh, so we had that interest, you know, back in 2012, and there is, yeah, for sure, it will be something that uh, is always uh, on the radar, and and we want to um, definitely, um, uh, you know, make a, give uh, opportunities uh, for our female players here in New Brunswick to play at the highest level. So, and I think it's great for our fans uh, to build on the, on the women's World Cup and have you know, uh, uh, a women's team here in Moncton. Do you think that the best, obviously you, you, you gave the shot at, at a USL team. Do you think the best shot is to have one team that represents a region or to have like a bunch of small teams that, that all play each other in the area? Uh, for the, for the, uh, on the women's side, you mean? Is it specifically on the women's side? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's good to start with uh, having uh, an, an Atlantic or a Maritimes Women's League, you know, um, just to build uh, from, you know, just to build, uh, you know, a good, strong foundation. And then we can go for somewhere else, because I think just for the for the uh, on the women's side, just to have an Atlantic region, it will improve the quality. It will be programs that will be a little bit more solid and more uh, serious uh, with good standards. And then we can go from there Um, until we have, you know, a national league, you know, and then we can basically have uh, one or two teams from from Atlantic Canada. That makes a lot of sense. Um, how have, uh, I know that obviously everybody has been, um, impacted by COVID quite a bit. How are things, uh, looking for the organization right now as we, as we embark on the first and second months of 2021? Well, right now, for sure. COVID uh, was not easy. Uh, we managed, we did our best. I think with our, a lot of, um, good volunteers we have in the province, uh, and staff, full-time staff. And um, all the administrators uh, that were uh, that are working in the game, 
and they did an amazing job. Um, we didn't give up. We, we tried everything, you know, to offer the best and the, uh, safe environment, basically, for our kids to, to practice and uh, so that they can benefit from, um, you know, um, good physical health and mental health and, uh, and be strong, you know, uh, during this uh, difficult moment. So I think overall, uh, first year went really, really well. Um, and um, now we're looking forward to promote uh, the game and come back uh, stronger. Of course, it, it did affect our, our player registration. We're only at 35% uh, uh, from what our numbers were in 2019. Uh, so we're looking for this 2021 to bring back, uh, you know, our numbers to where they were. And, uh, and I think people are way more confident. I think 35% was a, was a good success. I think now the parents and all the participants are more confident for this spring and summer. And we're all uh, getting ready. And uh, if anything, if this COVID did anything, it, it really brought us really uh, closer. And we're working all together in New Brunswick United to uh, bring the, uh, back uh, the game and, and, and provide the best opportunities and environment for our kids. That's awesome. Um, what do you, when you think about the New Brunswick soccer community, what do you think is the biggest opportunity for growth? Biggest opportunity for growth. Um, you're talking, you're talking about opportunity. <laughs> oh, I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, sorry. What I mean is, is like what, when you think Area. of the, the, the interest of people who play soccer and, and support soccer yeah. and, and and watch soccer it's like what do you think uh what do you think is sort of the biggest uh ace in the hole or or uh yeah or thing that can can really benefit the game and grow the game uh in the years to come i think i think for me is uh i'll, I'll tell you there is uh for sure we need to develop our infrastructure so that's a priority for us uh, in terms of, um, because especially indoor infrastructure, I think there is now uh, soccer is is a year-round sport, so mm -hmm. I think now now we have um, way more players that are playing um, year-round. Um, I think we have players that play year-round is is more than any other uh, you know uh, sports you know in terms of like the volume of training that we have year-round. So because it's soccer now, it's not just a, a summer sports. It's going for uh, all four seasons. And I think there is a little bit of lack of, uh, we would like to see more, more, more indoor infrastructure. And I think uh, a lot of municipalities are starting to realize, hey, like soccer is big. And I think the culture is start to shift a little bit because even the administrators and people that are decision makers at the municipality level and government level are more um, uh, aware of soccer popularity, you know, and they see that coming here. Uh, so I remember when I came to Montreal in, in 96, in 90s, um, soccer infra infrastructure was uh, was very limited. I remember indoor infrastructure for soccer was like Catalonia Center, uh, maybe, and maybe one more dome that started. But after that, like uh, it grew, and now you, you see uh, uh, it grew. And basically, you see now in Montreal, they have more than 
uh, 50 indoor uh, full-size indoor uh, facilities and so we here in New Brunswick it's 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 coming I can see it now I can see that uh, there is more growth and we need to take this opportunity to build more infrastructure and I think CPL is a great uh, opportunity I think having a team CPL team here will do a, a, a big promotion for 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 a soccer game and I think uh, also the national team success on the women's and national uh, and women uh, and men's uh, uh, are also going to inspire more Canadians to uh, to play the game. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, you're welcome. It's, it was my pleasure, Andrew. It was great to talk to you. Thanks for the opportunity. And that was Eunice. I had a great time ch- uh, chatting with him. Um, really fun conversation. The the uh, They're continuing to try to find um, ways to get connections for young players. Uh, including with um, with CF Montreal, they're they like to have con- uh, conversations with the Whitecaps, and I'm always interested in the in the continuing push for clubs, uh, the push for a uh, the push for a Canadian Premier League club in Moncton um, is always an interesting one. The the hearing that there was almost like seems like fingertips away. Um, a a W League uh, USL Women's Club that was going to be started in uh, in New Brunswick, um, kind of just before the NWSL took off. In that same in that same in that era when kind of like the top Olympic stars were in W League, um, that was apparently something that was very very close to the finish line, um, and it was just great to talk uh, talk about the game. Uh, to somebody who uh, has is putting their energy into it so much, and, and I would love to you know see that continue to grow here in the province because I do think that there are um, a lot of I think there are a lot of fans here that that could use a, a unifying gesture um, to get them together like a team, and I think that that would be uh, really interesting. Also, one of the thing we talked about is um, they've started. They were talking about how there's no uh, in in basketball in New Brunswick. Um, they're starting a amateur women's loop, which was apparently like they were talk- they were talking about. Oh, there's no national women's league for basketball. Well, can we start one? Well, that's hard. Can we start a regional loop? Yes, and that's very interesting. And 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 it is a development that I think that soccer people should be looking into um, as the as the time goes on the uh the we kept chatting and i'm sure you've had this experience once the once the microphones go off and you 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 learn so many more interesting things than you knew before and there was one piece of information that i just had to get on tape so that we could we could hear it and it relates to the role that saint john new brunswick my city had in the um, 1986 qualification for the Canadian national men's team. So we're going to play just a little bit of that story uh, now. <laughs> okay. So what's the story with the 1986 uh, qualification? How does that tie into St. John, where I am currently located? Well, it's St. John, as you know. There's a strong culture of St. John. It's through the immigration of... Uh, you know, uh, from from Europe, uh, uh, Irish, uh, Scottish, also Portuguese, Italian. 
there's strong communities that came here and one of the soccer fields, uh, first soccer fields in Canada was, was actually in the harbor of St. John. And um, a lot of, you know, people uh, like Derek Wisdom tell me like a lot of stories. Uh, one of the stories is uh, when Canada made it to the, the World Cup, uh, the 86 in Mexico. Uh, the last game was in uh, um, King George V in, in St. John's, Newfoundland. And uh, the fans from Honduras that came to cheer for their national team, um, they actually, instead of going to St. John's, Newfoundland, they came to St. John, New Brunswick. And the next, uh, the, 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 they, they went to the hotel, spent their night. The next morning, they were looking for the, for the field. And, and, <laughs> and they told him, sorry, this, this is St. John, New Brunswick, St. John's, <laughs> Newfoundland. You have to fly. <laughs> so, of course, I, I think it played a big role because the Honduras played without their fans. So they were in New Brunswick, St. John, New Brunswick. So... I think St. John played a role in that qualifier. Yeah. Oh my God, I, I'm really glad. I'm really glad that we could have uh, um, that we could have contributed because I know that that's always been a big, you know, uh, topic of debate when you're when you're talking about the national team is is traveling fans and dealing yeah. with that. This is yeah. a, this is a novel solution. You know, yeah, to have, the, to have the extra the extra time. I love yeah. that story. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> there was that can you imagine in 1985 getting off the plane and being like i can imagine it happening today <laughs> so I'm, good i'm really glad that we could contribute in some way to a piece of genuine uh, canadian soccer history if only it, by having a similar name I feel like, you know, it definitely wasn't the first time either that something like that has happened, but maybe on that level. <laughs> Do you have, uh, is there any other news that we've, uh, we've missed so far this week? <laughs> got any, got any other grievances? I got a couple, a couple of things, none Please. of, of hu- huge note. Um, I just, the Whitecaps did end up signing their draft pick, um, from Jamaica and his name is not in front of me. Um, but the, my point was that the the Whitecaps, to me anyway, seem to have a fairly good track record of actually signing their draft picks and getting them into the into the first team, um, which I think is notable. I mean, they're certainly not the only club in MLS that does it, but I feel like they've pretty consistently, it's maybe not every year, but every other year picked up a player that um, actually ends up in the team. Of course, Jake Norwinski was one of them once upon a time. And it's a right back again. Um, Javane Brown is the player that um, has signed. Yes. Fully fully now, and they've picked up, which is uh, great for him and great for them. Um, I just think it's important to do on Joseph Martinez watch. He is training and posting lots of uh, angry red-in-the-face emojis, so he's back in in fine form. And I just want to, like, throw this out here in case you'd forgotten, kind of like I had. Uh, Joseph Martinez changes how the league functions when he's fully fit and scoring goals. That's so true. I feel like we have a season coming up on us where as much stuff has been written about Atlanta, even if Atlanta is struggling, if Joseph Martinez can get back to even 70% of what he did um, before he tore his ACL, it, it's going to create a massive uh, flux of power in the East. So that's my, my storyline to watch. It's um, wild how how quickly uh, Atlanta dived without him, and how uh, and how much he could potentially um, what they could mean to him 
uh, what he could mean to them. Yeah, and if you think about, like, wow, Atlanta was that bad without him, I think, yes, of course, there's other factors at play, but you, you do have to think, yeah, and they could be really, really good again with him. Um, and that that's great to see. Um, and then also in slightly related Atlanta United news, Eric Rometty has also gone back to his uh, sort of his hometown club, the San Jose Earthquakes. So they've picked up a great attacking player um, from Atlanta and a guy who it felt like was kind of undervalued there. I thought Rometty had some, certainly had some great highlight goals for them um, and contributed lots, but seemed to sort of fall out of favor this year. So excellent signing for the Earthquakes. And the last piece that, or two final things. One thing that I wanted to throw out your way was in this ongoing saga that is New York City FC just kind of seeming to only be selling players and letting them go. There's been a lot of talk, and I I feel like obviously there's lots of fans that are upset and wondering, you know, when the hell are we actually going to be bringing some more players in? We've had some fans directly reach out to us and say say to us, like, actually, when you look at the players we have, here's what the starting 11 would maybe look like. And it's not too shabby. My question is, do you think maybe New York City FC is trying to kind of, like, quietly reinvent themselves as a selling club and are... And that's why we're not seeing these same big name signings coming in and that they're actually maybe trying to move away from that a little bit, signing the Pirlos and uh, the David Villas, et cetera, and are looking for a younger uh, profile of player because they have, I mean, not that they haven't given young players chances, but what are your thoughts? Well, I think that, what you it's not necessarily that they're going to be only a seeding uh, a selling club or that they're only a farm team but we have to look at where they fit in the city football group structure you know the uh, new york city is here to extend the brand and, and be like an exciting club to watch um mm-hmm. but i think certainly if there's a place if if they can um focus more on uh, focus a little less on that sort of the early Galactico approach and a little mm-hmm. bit more on either parking people that need to go on loan or, or, or developing prospects. That'll, that will not only hopefully uh, that be a model that has worked for MLS teams, but that will also benefit the other teams in the city football group by being yeah. players that they can, that they can uh, use later on. Um, I think that the other thing I think uh, there's been a lot of off-seasons where you will look at teams and wonder, what's going on with this? What's happening with this? And Mm -hmm. I think that the other shoe that is yet to drop is that the MLS primary window has not opened. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think with the the moved season, that's like beginning of March, I think. So I think that that's really... Um, something to look at as well when it comes to like what is what's happening with City is they are are they okay? <laughs> are they? <laughs> Did what, somebody go check on them. <laughs> who were they going to play after they've you know sent off Alex Ring and Ronald Madarita and Joe Scally? Um, but I think that there are often, um, you know, you have to move pieces around in order to, uh. To in a salary cap league, you have to move pieces around in order to make that big big move, and it's not sure. always clear in advance what we've seen. All kinds of you know coaching butterfly effect changes. 
But it's yeah. hard to see what the butter the preemptive butterfly effect of is a si- of a signing that hasn't happened yet. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, th- and the last thing I kind of had was just um, I had a couple of questions hanging in my head, and then I saw that the uh, the call up show did a call up with Greg Vanny, and I was like, well, let's see if I can find some of my answers here. Um, and so. It's a good interview, and I think if if you've got the time, go listen to it. But the two main takeaways from it were, um, one of the questions was like, well, okay, so what's the plan for Chicharito here? Like, he's obviously he's going to stay at the club and be continue to be a, a successful player. And they kind of looked at you know Vanny's experience working with big stars, big names, um, and how that would work. And and it seemed like he was pretty positive on him, and and that he's. He, it was interesting that as soon as he was asked the question, the first words out of his mouth were fitness and that Chicharito's looking really fit. Um, and appar- apparently also hired like a team of people to help him. It wasn't clear like what this team of people does, but I would imagine it's, you know, sports scientists, nutrition experts, etc., performance coaches. Hype people. Uh, hype people. Uh, all all hype kinds people. of people that are just like, Chicharito, you're the best. And then, when he goes to pour his cereal, just to say, "Ah, oh, this breakfast oh my is God. amazing." <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly, who knows? Um, but uh, Greg Vanny also mentioned, like he's he's talked to him, like he talks to him almost every day, every other day, um, and they've built a good relationship, and like that he's very clear for himself where his, the shortcomings were. And is working to address those. So I, th- I think it's, it sounds, it all sounds good. You know, all the right things are being talked about. Um, and it, it sounds like Chicharito knows what he needs to do. And and also the, the most positive thing for me out of all of that was it sounds like he's also taking responsibility for it. He's not blaming it on the team or the coach or anything like that. He's simply just saying, yeah, it was a big disappointment. It was a low for me. And, you know, I know what I need to do. He's certainly... He's being asked to be a leader on the pitch. He certainly wasn't that um, in his first year. And I don't know that he was at being asked to do that or being set up for success in that. So I think that's different. And then the other interesting piece was, um, of course, there's been rumors swirling about Giovinco returning to LA God. Galaxy. Ret- returning to working with Greg Vanny at LA Galaxy, which Greg Vanny very tightly lipped just talked in circles and then basically pointed out like i know i'm talking in circles but the so the the key takeaway here is maybe but his big thing was it's so hard right now with all of the things in place and the the transfer policies and work permits and all of health clearances that need to happen so he he seemed very much to stress the point it's really complicated but certainly he did not deny the rumors. So at the very least, I feel like it's fair to say Greg Vanny has talked to to, um, to Giovinco and there has at least been some talk of getting him to LA Galaxy. So it's maybe, it's definitely got more legs than maybe originally you and I thought. Because I think when we first heard it, we were like, you know, people are just making a word association at this point. I'm not, but. I'm not, uh, I'm not ready for... We, we said this about Atlanta. I'm not ready for LA Galaxy to be good again. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not like fully down with that. Actually, 
Yeah, yeah, I, I, I struggle with it as well. As I was watching it, I was like, "Fuck, I kind of like Greg Vanny." And then I was like, "Wait, do I like LA Galaxy now?" No, no, I don't, I don't want to. I still want to root against them, but, but deep in my heart, I'm like, "Oh, I want them to be good, but I want them to be good defensively, so that next year, I don't have to talk about <laughs> LA Galaxy as being the worst defensive team in MLS." So, in- interesting, obviously still uh, kind of in the rumor stage, but, I mean, we can confirm there's interest to make it happen. It's whether or not it's possible. Also, um, happy birthday to Gustavo Bo. Oh, who, who, happy birthday, Gustavo Bo. Who tweeted today, thank you all for taking a few minutes to greet me. I read each of the messages they moved me. Um, different birthday, far from many affections, is all on Google Translate. But I was lucky enough to, to spend it with those who were always there, my family, and obviously my favorite animation from childhood. The man has got a Dragon Ball Z themed birthday party with 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 uh, orange and blue balloons. He's got little Gokus everywhere. He's got Goku. I was waiting for the link to you here because I was like, "There's got to be a reason why you specifically are interested in why it's." Good. I was like, "I know we're not doing birthday callouts now." Uh, by the way, assistant coach at uh, Portland Timbers is celebrating. <laughs> no, uh, no, he's he's posted his Dragon Ball Z birthday, and it's amazing. amazing. I love it. I love it, so and, and I'm so glad he's. I hope you he had a good birthday. Dragon Ball Z, am I right? Yeah, I love that. Um, and, and lastly, as we head into the sort of outro here, we just want to give a shout out to, uh, the folks who were, uh, let go from Bell. It was a big fracas in the sports news world, um, last week. A lot of people putting in, uh, entire careers with Bell Media, uh, unceremoniously let go. So just wanted to give a little nod in solidarity to those folks and, just wishing them all the best and what a terrible thing to do during a pandemic when you are making a fortune and also receiving benefits from the government but we're not Few, that kind of show fewer than a, fewer than a, a fewer days than a week after bell let's talk the 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 mls tie-in for me is that team 1040 uh and team 1410 which is also uh which closed longer ago um yeah. are obviously like huge um sources of making uh, the game and accessible to fans in uh, in BC, and they were that for me. Um, you know, hugely so. Yeah, the number of times I uh, couldn't get a TSN stream working, or didn't could, didn't like didn't actually officially subscribe to anything, and had to go to TSN 1040 to hear the games, and like that was a, a pretty critical lifeline to be able to actually follow the club. Um, so that sucks, and I hope that whatever uh, the the MLS, you know, saw I uh, like you say solidarity to all the the uh, all the reporters, but especially the MLS guys and yeah. girls, for sure. In the meantime, where can you find you? Where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me online at Twitter at Team Bates www.team-bates.com. Where can we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. You can find this show on Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find all the shows on thatsomls.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us out a ton. And thank you as ever for sticking with us and helping the show out. It's a, a weird year, and it's a weird like transition time into the new season. Um, 
but I've loved all the conversations that have happened and, and just people sharing their thoughts with us. So thank you. Thank you guys. And there's only two more. There's only a, a, a short amount of time before the season. So between now and then don't get sent off. Nope.